You're listening to a podcast from the South China Morning Post. It is a tale of two cities, China's two biggest cities, and a battle to maintain the zero COVID strategy. While the 25 million residents of Shanghai deal with their fourth, fifth, and sixth weeks of lockdowns, still struggling with food shortages, as well as forced family separations, as people marked as close contacts are forcibly taken to quarantine facilities. This week, anxiety rippled through Beijing as authorities announced the Chaoyang district would be locked down through three sets of mandatory testing for COVID. Three million people tested have so far turned up just over 30 positive cases from that district, but across the city of 21 million people. Beijingers are responding, like any other citizens, at the prospect of district lockdowns. That's the sound of people in a Beijing supermarket vigorously loading their shopping trolleys with as much food and supplies as possible as the fear of a Shanghai-style month-long lockdown spread via social media. Hello and welcome to the Inside China podcast. My name is Holly Chick. I'm a reporter on the China desk of the South China Morning Post. In the past week, more and more videos from Shanghai have managed to evade Beijing's censorship and have been shared on WeChat, as well as being shared over the Great Firewall to the Western world on Twitter and YouTube. This video shows authorities putting up steel barricades to enforce quarantine around neighborhoods. while other videos show residents tearing down those barricades. But the video that really got attention in mainland China as well as the rest of the world was a six-minute video called Voices of April. It's a compilation of angry residents, recorded conversations with authorities and medical workers, including this section claiming to be a representative of one of Shanghai's neighborhood committees. She's saying, I also wish to hear some good policies so I can face my residents. The fact is, there's none. All references to this video on China's Twitter-style social media platform Weibo were removed last weekend. You're going to hear more about this video and what it means to the people of Shanghai from my colleague Thomas Yao, who's still in lockdown in his apartment in the Puxi district. He's going to tell us about the sentiment in his neighborhood and the local WeChat groups as he and tens of millions of others live through the fourth week of what was a planned five-day lockdown. He's also got some tips for our colleagues in Beijing on how to prepare for lockdown. And of course, we're headed to Beijing to hear from my colleagues who are now working from home, stocking their refrigerators and wondering what happens next when China's zero COVID policy is put to the test in its capital city. And finally, two questions hanging over this Omicron outbreak in mainland China. Why is there no mRNA vaccines available? Why are the vaccination rates so low for its elderly population? 
Joseph and Ma expect to tell us more about that. There's a lot to talk about, so let's get to it. Thomas Yao has been leading our coverage of the Shanghai lockdown from inside the Pusi district. Thomas, I'm reading the news that today the number of cases testing positive in Shanghai is at its lowest since April 5th. Is that something people in the Pusi district are following? Um, I think at this point people don't care anymore. Is <laughs>、yeah, Because、uh, we all say,、uh, I think yesterday there was supposed to be like a general PCR test for the entire population of Shanghai, but then what I heard is、uh, a lot of people are actually not doing the test. the The system for the registering the PCR test collapsed yesterday, so、uh, a lot of people in my building didn't get tested. So maybe. Just my own guess. That's one of the reasons that the numbers went down because not everyone is tested. It's now been a month since you were told that your neighborhood was going into a five-day lockdown. How are you holding up, Thomas? Um, it's a bit、uh, uneasy sometimes.、Uh, you just couldn't see the end of it.、Uh, but mostly, I. Just think about you know what I'm gonna eat today, and I'll take it one day at a time. And I've been start taking pictures of、uh, views outside the window. Yeah, so that's how I that's how I stay sane these days. Yeah. Are there any symptoms of cabin fever? You kind of become more、uh, short tempered, and、uh, I think I'm sleeping less these days. Yeah. So, what's the latest on the local barter economy? What have you been trading with your neighbors? Um, not much. I've been trying to get some uh kais, Chinese kais, uh, but that was not very successful because that was in short supply. And then some delivery service uh they resumed their services, so we can uh still order condiments and. You know, and even beer、uh, delivered into our apartment complex. So not that much of a battering going on, at least for myself. But I think what they are seeking the most right now are those little wet chilies. Yeah, in our buildings, a lot of people are looking for them. So have people moved on from the group buying strategy?、Uh, I don't think so. I still order、uh, quite a lot of stuff through、uh, group buying.、Uh, I just ordered. Uh, some soy sauce, some oyster sauce,、uh, cornstarch,、uh, all those kind of stuff through group buying. I mean,、uh, these days a lot of、uh, grocery stores they don't take individual orders anymore, and the、uh, online shopping apps they are still pretty much they're still pretty overbooked these days. So group buying is like one of the few, very few、uh, reliable ways. That you can get your supplies. So no, people have not moved on from group buying. But as I said, more and more restaurants are opening up, so you can order hamburgers and stuff like that. Relatively easy these days compared with three weeks ago. What about the mood on the local WeChat groups? What are people talking about? Um, I think、uh, Beijing finding like dozens of cases is kind of like a, 
everyone was uh, watching uh, Beijing's infection numbers these days. There are some interesting point of view that for sh- for the zero COVID uh, policy to be relaxed, there must be some kind of a large scale outbreak in Beijing to change the top leader's mind. Uh, I don't know how true is that, but that's that's what Shanghai people was talking about uh, a couple of days back. And then, of course, there's always there are always this anger and frustrations uh, against uh, the government's response. Um, people are absolutely angry when uh, some uh, local authorities. Uh, uh, pull up fences uh, around indiv- individual buildings for the so-called hot lockdown uh, policy. Thomas, we've been seeing those videos of steel fences being put up to seal off particular neighborhoods. We're also seeing some videos of residents ripping down those fences. Can you tell us about this? Is that a widespread thing? Yeah, I think um, it's still, uh, it's not like uh, the whole Shanghai suddenly got turned into the Warsaw Ghetto in in 1939. Uh, I think a lot, a couple of them happened in Pudong district. Some happened on this side of the river. Uh, but for my own building, I think uh, the street administration is not that, uh, how do I say, radical. Um, they put up uh, those movable fences that, that you saw in uh, roadside construction sites in Hong Kong. Uh, you can still move them pretty easily. It's not like they build this iron cage around a building. They're still movable. Yeah, about those fences being torn down by residents, I think... A lot of them are saying that um, this is like a huge uh, fire hazard. I saw a document uh, circulating on WeChat Group that the Shanghai, I think it's the Architectures Association, they said, well, this is against the fire regulations of PRC. And a couple of days ago, we also saw like the National People's Congress. I think, I think it's the legal division of it. Uh, it published like a document saying that like local authorities while they were uh, busy containing the the disease, they should also refrain themselves from breaking the law. What about that video that went viral, Voices of April? Are people still talking about it? I think last week is the peak of the spread of that video. Because I think what's interesting uh, about that video is that uh, it's not only about uh, people's desperate calls. There's also a lot of uplifting voices like uh, police officers uh, helping truck drivers with food supplies and, you know, uh, residents delivering food to construction workers that were trapped in the apartment complex. So there's a, a really, it's kind of, it's really balanced illustrations of what people in Shanghai uh, have been going through. There are hardships, there are desperations, there are sufferings, but they're also bright side of humanity, so as to speak. But uh, I think people are just confused and also very angry that such video will trigger uh, uh, a censorship from the WeChat platform. So there was like a anti-censorship battle going on for, I think it lasts for two to three days. People were 
uh, one side there was the sensor trying to delete uh, every single one of them. The other side, is many people were posting those videos. So it was quite a scene on the Chinese web space. But I think uh, this week people have moved on. Yeah, so that, that, that's the whole story of the Voices of April video. Thomas, is there any indication of when this lockdown will end? Uh, I wish I know. Uh, my very optimistic fantasy is the second week of May, but we, we never know. Thomas, we're about to get our Beijing colleagues on the line. What advice do you have for them? First and foremost, uh, if you have any prescription-only medication that you need for you and your own family, get as many prescriptions as you could, like, you know, at least two months. Um, and then just stock up on as many vegetables that you want, but also don't forget about like canned food, like uh, spams and canned tomatoes, canned uh, peaches, you know, because it's, it's going to be very difficult to uh, replenish like fresh vegetables and some more vitamins. And then for female, just tampons and you have kids, diapers, lots of them. Yeah, anything that you can think of, really. Thomas, stay safe and stay sane. Thank you very much for your hard work and we'll follow your videos on scmp.com and of course on Twitter as well. Okay, sure. All right, take care, guys. I've got two of my colleagues from our Beijing Bureau on the line. Amanda Lee covers market and the economy from our Beijing Bureau, and she is in the Chaoyang District. Lunasen covers the political economy and social issues, and she is also in the Chaoyang District. Amanda, if I can start with you, for people who have never been to Beijing, can you paint us a picture of what the Chaoyang District is like? What kind of people live there and what kind of businesses are there? Uh, Chaoyang, I think, is the biggest uh, district in uh, in Beijing. It's, it's quite, I think, it's it's quite an international area where we are. Um, there are a lot of foreign businesses, uh, hotels, um, as well as a really large residential areas. I started living in, in Chaoyang district in 2017, so I've been here for almost five years. Luna, what about you? Yeah, so I am actually a Chaoyang district native. I was born and raised in Chaoyang District, and it's, I think, it's, like Amanda said, is the most populated district in Beijing, and it's definitely the most commercialized district, and there are a lot of commercial zones, shopping areas. There are just normally a lot of activities going on in Chaoyang District, and it's, it's fairly international as well. A lot of foreign businesses set up offices in Chaoyang District. Uh, the central business district, the uh, Famous CBD is also in Chaoyang District. Luna, you're in the lockdown part of Chaoyang. What is the mood like this morning? This morning, I haven't left home yet. Today, residents are going to get their second round of uh, COVID tests, and each building gets a slot of time um, during which they're going to go downstairs and get the test. Amanda, and you have been tested this morning, is that right? Yes, um, there was a notice on uh, Sunday. I think everybody has to be tested three times this week. So that's uh, start, started on uh, Monday and then there's a Wednesday and Friday. So this is the second round. Uh, I went out in the rain today and got tested. So um, I try to do this as, as early as I can because um, I'm sort of a bit wary of the risk of 
these uh, mass testing. Uh, so I, I got that then pretty quickly. There was a bit of a queue, but it was it was um, it was fast. Luna, we saw videos of people panic buying in Beijing supermarkets. What sort of behaviors did you see in your neighborhood in these past few days? There were definitely some panic buying. And you see empty shelves in the supermarkets and street vendors selling vegetables on the street with higher prices. Luna, is there any sense of anxiety? What is your family saying? A lot of people in Beijing have started to um, stock up on food since a few weeks ago um, in light of what happened in Shanghai. And my family started building up our food inventory, like canned food, instant noodles, rice, and water. And even though we do have enough supply that would last for probably um, three or four months, there's still a sense of anxiety and panicking because we don't know when this lockdown is going to end. And my mom has been telling me, like, you can't eat three meals a day now and you can't have meat every meal. So, yeah, even though a lot of people have enough food, there's still a sense of anxiety and not knowing um, when this is going to end. And Amanda, what are you hearing from people in Shanghai? Are they advising you to do something based on their own experience? Uh, absolutely. Um, I've been warned by a few people that I know who are still in lockdown. Um, they were saying, you know, don't don't rest on your laurels. Don't do don't make my mistakes. I didn't stock up. Do it quickly. Get as much as you can. Get a new fridge or whatever you can do, because it's um, it's going to be hard. Uh, so um, I, I wasn't as nervous as before but after what well, after what I've seen in in Shanghai I figured that I I should also start building up my uh, my food cupboard uh, so I, I went out and did quite a bit of shopping uh, over the uh, over the past few weeks yeah to make sure that I'm well stocked up so what are people actually now talking about um, in in Beijing are there any like neighborhood groups on WeChat that are like drawing the example from Shanghai and it's kind of like telling hey now we need to do something. Um, I, I've been connected with residents in my compound on various WeChat groups already. Uh, so, I mean, there, there's always some chats here and there. And But recently it's been a, a bit more active. Uh, I think especially with uh, the situation in Shanghai, a lot of people are drawing back comparisons. So, um, you know, there are people in the group suggesting that, oh, perhaps we should get a, a new freezer so we could uh, we could stock up. And some said, you know, we've already done that. Uh, so there, there, there's certainly a lot of chatters on that. And there were people saying, you know, it's Beijing. It's not going to be as bad as in Shanghai. And then someone would say, well, how do you know? Uh, a lot of people thought it was going to be okay in Shanghai. It's a huge city. Uh, it's very well developed, uh, very strong delivery network. And then it just collapsed. So, it's it, you know, it, we're not trying to get everybody to panic, but, you know, it's it's good to have a plan B. So that's sort of what's driving a lot of the conversations um, in the chat group these days. Uh, you know, people just started, you know, people just started talking about Shanghai and how they should be prepared for the worst. So in the case of Beijing, they've tested millions of people over the past two days. And um, today we saw the new number. They recorded 31 new COVID infections. Is there a sense of pushback of, you know, people questioning why there's so much done when, you know, there are so little infections? Um, I think that's certainly a question that people are asking. Uh, but I think most people are, are very concerned if there's 
um, an infection found in our compound, it means that we're going to be the next to go into lockdown. Um, so it's one case equals, you know, lockdown these days. So it's that's just very much on on people's mind. It, it might not happen, but uh, I think people are nervous about it. So Luna in Shanghai, um, there was a lot of concerns with the neighborhood committees. Like there was a lot of anger, and they were on the front line helping people. What is the lesson being learned uh, from Shanghai? Beijing is the seat of power in the country. Is there a different approach uh, that you're seeing? I think from what I have been seeing now, Beijing definitely looks more organized because our building has been in lockdown and there's a paper, there's a notification handed by um, the committee that says if you have medical needs, you can have a pass, which would allow you to go to the hospital. And that's something that we didn't see in Shanghai, um, which led to a lot of tragedies. And now we can still order online and pick up at the gate. And that's something I think was lacking in, in Shanghai. So Luna, one area of Chaoyang is under lockdown right now. Is there any indication of how um, this will end or, you know, in what circumstances might this expand? So we have two more mass testings to go this week, one is going to be finished today and the other one will be on the 29th. Um, once uh, the test results are out and there are no positive cases in our area, I think the lockdowns will be lifted. But I don't know what will happen if there are positive cases. It's likely to be extended if there are any positive cases found in our area. Amanda and Luna, I think this is the start of working from home for you guys. Best wishes from Hong Kong, where we're back in the office for the first day. And uh, stay safe, stay healthy. We will follow your stories on scmp.com. Thank you, Holly. Josephine Ma is one of our news editors on the China Desk. And here on the Inside China podcast, you have heard her reporting on the development of vaccines since our very first pandemic episodes back in 2020. Joe, why is that a Shanghai-based company, Foshan, has the contract for distributing the Pfizer-BioNTech mRNA vaccine on this side of the world, including Hong Kong, starting back in January 2021, but it's not available in mainland China? That's a question that many people are asking, uh, including many mainland Chinese people. The company executive said last year that um, expert panel has kind of like uh, recommended um, this vaccine to the Chinese regulator. And they are hopeful that they can get um, the approval from the Chinese regulator. But uh, it's been several months and uh, we still haven't heard anything about it. And in January this year, a senior executive of BioNTech um, said that um, they are still uh, waiting and they are still hopeful that their vaccine can get approval in China. Uh, of course, um, both the Chinese government and uh, the company ha- haven't said anything about um, the delay, but expert analysts there saying that uh, probably China is waiting for its own vaccines, its own mRNA vaccines, uh, and it doesn't want to rely on a foreign vaccine uh, for its inoculation program. And also it wants, I mean, if China has to switch to a foreign vaccine, it doesn't help the image of its own vaccines. 
So that's what some analysts are speculating. I checked out our podcast archive, Joe. You were last talking about China's mRNA vaccine development on this podcast in August 2021. How close is China to developing its own mRNA vaccine? Uh, quite a number of Chinese companies are working on the mRNA vaccine candidates. China has recently approved the clinical trials of two candidates,、uh, one by Cansino.、Um, And another one by another company, but、um, the front runner so far is a candidate developed by the Academy of Military Sciences and two other companies.、Um, it has released data about its first stage clinical trial and is now conducting the late stage clinical trials in Indonesia. And also in Mexico, from the data they published earlier, nothing really alarming. But、um, scientists say they would still have to wait、uh, until the they got the trial three data before we can find out if the vaccine is useful or not.、Um, from the pre- preliminary data, it seems that the、um, side effects are, are quite strong,、uh, but. Those are just like from a like very small group of、um, participants. So we will have to wait for、um, the stage three trial, which involves like a much larger number of people, to find out if、um, this vaccine is successful or not. Because、um, if we look at the experience of other countries, not all mRNA vaccine candidates can be successful. There's a lot of opinions and comments saying China cannot afford to drop the zero COVID strategy because of low vaccination rates in the elderly. We saw how that played out here in Hong Kong, with 51 days in a row of the world's highest death rate. But what does that tell us about mainland China's vaccination push? Why is it unable to get its elderly people properly vaccinated? Yeah, that's a key question.、Uh, because even though China has been quite successful in pushing for vaccination for its population, the vaccination rate among the elderly、um, is relatively low. And、um, a lesson we learned from Hong Kong is that、um, the vaccination among the elderly is very important if we really want to reduce death and、um, serious cases. From the government figure,、um, less than half of the elderly population have received、um, a booster. I think it's to do with,、um, of course, like complacency and also、uh, maybe some elderly they they just don't like、uh, vaccination.、Um, but the government seems to realize that's a problem and is like pushing for vaccination among elderly right now. So, for example, like in March. Um, according to the government figure, only less than 20% of the people aged above 80 years old have received、uh, a booster. For those aged between 60 to 69, around 56% have received a booster. And then for those aged between 70 to 79. Uh, around 48% have received a booster. So many of them have actually received two doses, but、um, the booster is still trying. I mean, they're still trying to catch up with a, a booster. And China is quite reluctant to 
change his policy, and and one reason they they quote they cited is the low vaccination rate among the elderly. Of course, um, that's not the only reason. Uh, some analysts are saying that the political reasons are also very important, um, especially um, the twentieth party congress is coming up, and the. And for Xi Jinping, uh, it's very important to secure a third term. And before that, um, the government wants stability and it doesn't want to see a spike in death rate or overloading of the healthcare system. So that's what some Chinese analysts or Chinese watchers are saying um, that could play into the reasons why China is still insisting to hold on to the zero COVID policy. Of course, what happened in Shanghai is changing the public opinion and perception about um, the zero COVID policy, and that's giving pressure to the government as well. So the vaccination is only one reason. The fear to take risks before this very important political event is another reason. Back in March, you wrote about the push for the Pfizer antiviral pill called Paxlovid to be made available globally by the United Nations patent tool. Is there any hope that the Pfizer antiviral pill will be rolled out in mainland China? China has already approved the use of it. So, um, and a local company has signed an agreement with uh, Pfizer um, to produce um, the drugs. When it can hit the market, um, we don't know yet, but um, the regulatory hurdle has been cleared. Um, for MPP, for that's, that's another issue. That's uh, MPP, that means the, the patent sharing tool platform uh, backed by the UN, and that's for developing countries and um, um, companies are allowed to produce a generic version of the drug and they can but the drug can only be sold to designated countries and they are all like low income countries several chinese companies actually got the um, what we call sub license to produce um, that drug but they cannot sell that in china and um, they can only sell um, the drug to designated um, or to the developing countries on the list of that agreement. Over the past two years, we have reported extensively on China's vaccine diplomacy through Africa, Southeast Asia, and Latin and South America. How has that changed now in 2022? Yeah, um, last year, China was the largest exporter of um, COVID vaccines to developing countries. But in the first three months of this year, actually since this year, um, there's a huge, I mean, there's a slump of um, Chinese vaccine export and we don't see any like major commercial deal um, signed um, since 2022. Um, that's to do with two reasons. Um, some big markets, they shift to other kind of um, vaccines um, because they want like higher efficacy. And also because um, many developing countries, they hit the bottleneck of, the inoc- of their inoculation program. So the exports for other vaccines, I mean, by, by Western countries also dropped um, um, in, in April. And um, for COVAX, that's um, the vaccine distribution net- network, um, ex- um, which um, 
aim to help developing countries to secure enough vaccines actually um, see a, a surplus, like more supply than demand, and they have to cut um, some of the, they have to opt not to obtain some of the vaccines from Moderna um, earlier. So we see that there's a, tra- a trend there. Um, um, there's more supply than demand, but that's not to, but that's not because um, the inoculation in developing countries is sufficient. They're still lagging far behind. It's just that they don't have the infrastructure or enough capacity to vaccinate every person. So that's what uh, WHO and COVAX are now working on to expand the capacity uh, for in, uh, inoculation in developing countries. So th- these two reasons can explain why there's a slump of exports um, of Chinese COVID vaccines. And of course, China is aware of the problem and is, is doing its best to catch up with, um, um, with the development of vaccines for Omicron. And uh, apart from the mRNA vaccines I mentioned earlier, um, Sinopharm is, uh, just got an approval from the government to um, conduct clinical trials for its inactivated vaccines targeting Omicron variant. So we, we, we still have to wait. If the data is good, it could be an option. If, if there's enough data to show that it can reduce hospitalization um, and also death or even reduce transmission for Omicron um, variants, then um, the dy- dynamic may change later, but we still have to see. Josephine Ma, thank you for your time. Great to have you back on the Inside China podcast. You're welcome. That's all for this week's edition of Inside China. Don't forget, by the time you hear my voice, the numbers of people tested and people testing positive in Shanghai and Beijing has already changed. You get the latest updates on scmp.com or follow our newsroom on Twitter at SCMP News. And a reminder, Thomas Yao's videos are posted to the SCMP channel on YouTube as well as his Twitter account. Just search for Thomas Yao, Y-A-U, and you'll find him. My name is Holly Chick. Thank you for listening. And as always, no matter where you are in the world, stay safe, keep your distance, but stay in touch. Bye for now.